And speaking of writing, you wrote a book in the last couple of years called The Thank You Project. And it's a book that I was very blessed to receive. And it really spoke to me because it focuses on gratitude. And to start off, what inspired you to write the book? What kind of made this come, this idea come to life about it needing to exist? Right. Well, so the premise of the book is that in 2016, I was turning 50. And so in the waning months of 2015, I was like, what can I do next year? 50 feels like a big number. And I'm trying to figure out how to mark this year in some kind of way. And so I decided what I would do was to write a thank you letter once a week to someone who had helped, shaped, or inspired me. And that was pretty much the whole plan. I, you know, felt like I was very fortunate. My parents were well, I have good relationships with my siblings. My husband and I have been married for a long time. The girls, our daughters were doing well. And I just thought I'm so lucky and I did not get here by myself. I'd have, I've had helpers all the way. So I'm going to make a list of 50 people and write these letters. And so fast forward to, you know, we can talk about what happened while I was writing these thank you letters, but it took me longer than I expected, but it was also a much bigger impact on me than I ever anticipated. I mean, I really just thought I was going to write letters and that was going to be that. And it ended up changing the way that I look at the world around me. And I'm much more apt to look for the good in a bad situation. I'm much more apt to express my thanks to people, even the ones who live in my house, you know, but also the guy at the grocery store or the, you know, the the guy working at the gas station, because I understood from having experienced this, you know, the impacts of writing gratitude letters, how, how much better it made me feel. Forget about how it made them feel. It made me, it's a little bit selfish. Like I was, I benefited so much by this practice of gratitude letters. So it took me till, you know, mid-2017 to finish writing the letters, and the people who had received the letters, but also people who just heard about it through, multi, you know, through friends, started asking me, how, how did you do it? How did you decide who to write? What did you write? Did you feel uncomfortable? And just, you know, asking me questions about how to do it, and I was like, well, I know how to do it. I can write down a how-to guide. And that's really what the book was designed to be. It was, I wrote it in 2018. It came out December, 2019. And it's all, it's, it's kind of meant to be a blueprint for readers to figure out who in their life they might want to write to, but also to understand the science behind it. Because I was really curious what the heck just happened to me when I was writing these 50 letters. Why did I feel so good? Why was I more positive? Why was I kind of calmer in a lot of ways. And so the I, you know, luckily there's a lot of research centers looking into positive psychology, the Greater Good Science Center here in um, the Bay Area. I live in Oakland and they're right down the road in Berkeley, but tons of emerging research about the beneficial ways that gratitude, you know, lets you sail through life a little bit more easily. So that's the, what the book is. And it's not a collection of my 50 letters because who cares? I want you, as you read about what I did, I want the reader to think, oh, I could write to this person. Oh, I should write to that person and, and kind of start to build for themselves this vision of themselves as being the recipient of good things in their lives. It's interesting, too, because gratitude has been with us as long as we've probably been on the earth, actually. It's just that it's shown up in different ways. And for a long mm -hmm. time, I don't think we really knew what to call it, but we knew it was a good thing. It was a positive thing. And then, of course, you know, here in America, we have Thanksgiving, which is actually the whole concept is about gratitude. Right. And it's best intentions, yes. yes. 
there's some of it, but the best intentions of it. Right. But I do want to, was there, was there some of the, in the science that you were finding, what surprised you the most when you were reading and going through all these studies? I think it was the physical benefits. I could, you know, it made sense to me that somebody who made a regular effort to be grateful would be more, a more optimistic person or would be someone who felt like they had more resources. But it really goes right to our cellular level. I mean, you sleep better with a gratitude practice. Your blood pressure is lower. All these physical manifestations that are asthma control, just all kinds of physical manifestations of wellness that come from a gratitude practice. And one of the researchers I interviewed, Dr. Christine Carter, said, if you could put gratitude into a pill, you'd be very, very wealthy because it would address so many issues, you know, quality of sleep, I would take that pill every night. So, you know, I think that was surprising and really encouraging and was, you know, that, again, I hope when people read the book, they realize there are so many benefits to writing the letters, not being, not necessarily, or not just being the recipient of the letters, because the recipients, of course, get benefits too. But I think it's, it can feel hard to embark on something like this. So I was really trying to just say, but look, you'll sleep better and you'll have, you know, you'll, I don't know, all this stuff that will accrue to you if you write these letters. One of the things I love too, is that you actually have the practice of writing a letter to a place. And I had never really Mm -hmm. thought about that before, but to write it to somewhere you had been in the world or just to show the gratitude to it. Maybe it was your childhood home. Maybe it was where you met someone very significant in your life. But I really appreciated you incorporating that into the book. Well, it was funny because over time, you know, when I when I was about, about to start writing my letters, I was like, okay, 50 letters for the age of 50, and I can do that in a year, which I didn't end up doing for reasons. I wrote out my list, and I'm like, I don't know 50 people. I don't like, how am I going to, what am I going to do? And of course, over time, and we can talk about negative and positive recall bias, but basically you get better and better at being grateful by being grateful. So over time, I was like, oh, I need to put this person on the list and that person. But then it occurred to me that all of these good feelings that I had when I finished writing a gratitude letter came when I was still, I mean, I was, I was writing, I hadn't handed it to anybody. I was still sitting at my desk and I would just feel this sense of lightness and buoyancy and, and just positivity. And I was like, oh, So I could write the letters and yield all of this good, juicy gratitude benefit, but I don't have to send it. You know, like the the response from the recipient was kind of a secondary thing. So then I started thinking about, well, health-shaped, inspired, I've certainly been shaped by the cities that I've lived in. You know, I'm a child of upstate New York, Rochester, and so I wrote a thank you letter to Rochester. I've lived here in Oakland for 27 years now. I wrote a letter to Oakland. You know, there's been a few places in my life that I think are reflected in who I am as a person. I hope so. I would be proud if they were. And so that was fun to think about. And if you've stayed in your hometown all your life, then it's definitely shaped you. (laughs) You should be able to find something in that, you know, regardless of your feeling about staying or not staying, whatever. But, you know, we are in part where we've passed through. So I loved writing those letters. Can you provide some tips for parents? I know as a parent myself, you've raised two girls as well, but that's one thing you always want to kind of impart on them to say gratitude is important to remember yeah. it. And it's hard because when you're growing up, there's just so much going on in right. your brain, your body. I mean, it's just all over the place. And sometimes as parents, we almost feel like we have to take a deep breath because we're like, mm, we may not be hearing any gratitude. <laughs> 
yeah. <laughs> right now. Yeah. I mean, yes, my girls are in their 20s now, but, you know, we've, we've been through it, and I understand exactly what you're saying. I do think having a regular family gratitude practice is lovely, and I've heard so many different ways that people do that. Certainly, you know, sitting together at dinner at night, if you can, and saying something that, you know, we, we used to call it the high and the low. Like, what was the, you know, what's the thing you're grateful for? What was something that was hard today? If everybody's on different schedules because of activities, and we've had that too, you know, that can be something before going to bed at night, if you just have a moment of connection. But trying to, I think kids are smart. I think kids are cynical a little bit. And I think if you can share with them some of, again, the research in the book. So it boils down to this. So there's negative and recall bias. Everybody has both. And negative recall bias is what initiates your fight or flight response and keeps you safe and looks for dangerous things around you. It's great. We all need that. But the problem is when you get locked in it and all you do, you train your brain to look for the bad things around you. And we all either know that person or we are that person. If you don't know them, that's because you are them. So, you know, it's just kind of a hard way to go through the world, always tuning in to what's bad. And if you're on social media, it becomes almost impossible to get out of that mindset. But what researchers found is that the best way to mitigate that is to enhance your positive recall bias, which is really just looking around Every time you think of it and thinking, what is good in this moment? What is something to be thankful for? Who is someone who is helping me? And by doing that on a regular basis, you, you rewire your brain. You make your brain better at doing that, which is what I was doing the whole time I was writing my 50 letters. I didn't know that's what I was doing, but it absolutely worked. And a lot of the research studies I looked at about around gratitude, the way they would test this kind of thing was to have somebody write a gratitude letter. And I'm like, oh, my God, I stumbled on the, the big secret. I didn't even know, but that is a really effective way to do it. Having Giving kids, especially teenagers, another writing assignment, not great. I don't know how well they receive that, but maybe they just say it to themselves. I mean, this is something I do all the time, you know, three good things. If I can't get to sleep at night, I will lay in my bed and think, what are three good things about that I can be thankful for right now? And it can be, I love this, my sheets are clean and I love that. Or I have a cute shirt I'm going to wear tomorrow. Or, you know, I've just finished a book that I really loved and it's a new author to me. So it can be anything. And I know somebody who does this and her challenge to herself is you're never allowed to repeat so she was telling me recently, I gave thanks for my blood flow. And I'm like, that's a good thing to be thankful for. Because without it, where would you be not right. giving thanks? You know, anything I think that, you know, so you could share that information with your kid that you have a choice in what you focus on. And the more you focus on the thing, the better your brain is going to get at focusing on that thing, whether it's good or whether it's bad. So you make the choice. How do you want to be hardwired? And then seen in the workplace, there's um, a gratitude journal in a, in a department. So anybody can go by and just add the thing that they're grateful for in this shared journal. You could do that with a family. You could, you know, just have a, I've also seen a jar where you write things once a week, put something, you know, just anything that gives them some different ways that they can choose from. But the point is to make gratitude a regular part of what they do because they'll get better at it. And you want your kids, I think we're going to segue into talking about this, but one of, the, one of the great things about gratitude is how it builds resilience 
when you are having a hard time. Because especially with the gratitude letters, you know, if I'm talking about people who have helped me in my life, or if I'm thinking about that, I'm kind of by definition thinking about times where I've needed help, Mm -hmm. you know, through a mistake I've made, a bad choice I've made, circumstances out of my control, all of which are things that are going to continue for the rest of my life until the end of it. But then if I can remember that there is somebody who's come to my side to help me in one of those circumstances, then the next time it happens, I might not freak out so much. I might be like, hold on, I can call so-and-so or someone will appear who will help me. You know, anything that you can do to give some perspective. Mm -hmm. And it's a little easier when you're my age, approaching 60, than it is, I think, when you're 16, because everything has huge dramatic stakes and not everything has happened in your life yet. So you don't, you just don't have as much of a story to look back on. But as a parent, by helping them, you know, by helping identify in the moment, my gosh, your teacher was so great the way that they gave you an extra day because you needed help for whatever reason, or, oh my gosh, look at how your friends came to your aid when you needed help. How wonderful. You must be so grateful for that. Like that's something to appreciate. Don't take that for granted. And, you know, just to try to build awareness. It's interesting, too, because I know kids roll their eyes every time, but thank you notes. I still think you have a place because that is a small expression of gratitude towards someone. I'm writing a thank you note right now for a little thing that I got invited to on the weekend. It's, yeah, and my kids, actually, I would, that's not fair to say. I have a, a daughter who's a Christmas Day baby who always gets her gets her birthday and Christmas thank you notes out before the rest of us. Like she leaves us in the dust. But yeah, make your kids write thank you notes. It's good for them and good for civil society, I think. In the book, you have a really beautiful story about the very first thank you letter that you wrote. Mm-hmm. I don't want to give it away. I'm just, I'm, no, you know, read the book. But I am curious, what was the last letter that you wrote? Who was that to? Oh. Number 50. Number 50 was to myself, and number 50 should be the last letter, however many of these letters you write, that's in the book that you you have to write a thank you letter to yourself at the end of the process, because what you've done is identified for yourself all these awesome people who you know, and you made those connections, and you knew to turn to somebody for help, and you recognize the good in good and bad situations because we can talk about the other letters that didn't get sent like you you might not send the place letters because it's a little weird to send a letter to a mayor but there are other letters you might not send and so the last thank you letter is you know and I felt this deeply I was really like wow that was a cool project and I feel pretty good that I thought to do it so I'm gonna say thank you to myself and you know I that's not one that I go back and reread all the time. I do that with a lot of the other ones. But, it, you know, you get to pat yourself on the back at the end of this for putting in the work to strengthen connections with your loved ones, to recognize the good people around you who are probably going, I'm sure you had people going under the radar when, you know, when you, before this happened, and just to kind of capstone the whole thing. So, okay, you brought look it. and see what was the one before that, though. Hold ah, on. Okay. Let me look it up. And then I want to talk about the weird letters because you brought that up. (laughs) I love talking about the weird letters. Well, I don't know what my last one was. Eh. Although I keep writing them. So I can tell you what the last one was that I have recently written. So I don't know if you want to hear about that. Go for it. Yeah. Yeah, that was to 
a person I am not in touch with. I haven't seen since I was 24. I moved to Germany when I, uh, for my first job out of college, and I knew this girl. I had a girl's phone number who lived in the, I lived in Munich, and I didn't know a soul, and I was so lonely, and I was, I mean, my German was good, but my Bavarian was non-existent, and they speak Bavarian, not, you know, high German. So I was a pretty far over my head as a 22-year-old. And I just called this girl who I really did not know at all, this German woman. And she was like, what's your address? I'm coming over. We're, we're on our way to a party. And she just folded me into her social set. And I had an instant group of friends for, for the rest of the time I was there. And unfortunately, I've lost touch with her. I've tried to find her. I can't, I cannot find her, but I don't think she realized how, what I, the, how much I needed that. And I'm not sure I realized how much I needed that at 22. In my 50s, I was like, wow, she was a real rescuer. So that was the last one I wrote. But do you want me to talk about the weird letter? Oh, yeah, go for it. Okay. So, you know, <laughs> I'm in this, everybody likes these. Well, so in this, in the same vein of writing letters to cities, because I didn't have to mail them, I was like, wait, so what people would I want to write to who have been formative in my life, but I don't want to send a letter to? Because we learn a lot from negative experiences in our lives as well. And so this was the section where I wrote to some ex-boyfriends. I wrote to a terrible boss that I had who I will never, you know, who really taught me how not to do the job. And it was really interesting. I, had, I actually had a lot of fun writing those letters because I knew they were never going to read them. I could be very honest. and But it wasn't like a burn letter either because... I think if you can look back at those kinds of things, so for instance, the example I include in the book, I, when I was in Germany, I dated a German guy and, you know, it didn't work out. It wasn't, it wasn't a terrible breakup or anything like that. But what I realized looking back was that he was, I, I would not have stayed in Germany as long as I did had he not been so helpful and kind to me. Because for instance, he helped me file my German taxes. That's a hard thing to do when you're an immigrant and you don't understand the tax system in your new country. He would answer my dumb questions about like, why am I paying bills at the post office? That doesn't make any sense to me. And he was always very respectful. He didn't make me feel stupid. And, you know, just these things that were so kind. And again, I was, I was on my own. And so I was really grateful and it felt so nice to actually put that in a letter. I didn't send it to him. I, I think, I think he has the book. We're still in touch a little bit. And I think he knows there's a letter. And he, yeah, it just felt good to kind of put that gratitude out in the world and hopefully it will reach him, you know, somehow. And it also is a really important way, you know, when you look back at some of your youthful experiences, Sometimes in the moment, you're like, why was I in that job? Why did I move to that place? Why was I dating that person? And if you can look back with a little objectivity and figure out what was good about it, I think it's a way to let your younger self off the hook. Sure. You know, it's kind of an act of self-kindness. Like, yeah, you didn't know everything then that you know now. You probably wouldn't repeat it now, but you were doing your best. And look, you took these good lessons away from it, even if it was... Uh, you know, out of, from a negative experience. So I think it's a really valuable way to find perspective and remind yourself that, you know, you've, you've overcome some stuff. We're going to take a short break to hear from our sponsors. Hi, everyone. This is Erin. Have you heard of Creative Live? Creative Live is an incredible online learning platform that offers courses on all kinds of subjects, 
photography, self-improvement, art, writing, and web design, to name a few. I have personally taken several courses, such as A Brand Called You with Debbie Millman and Workflow, Time Management, and Productivity for Creatives with Lisa Congdon. And I plan to take even more courses in writing, networking, and video production. If you've ever wanted to pursue a creative outlet, I highly recommend taking a look at Creative Live. It's a great way to improve your craft and broaden your knowledge. Girls That Create is part of the Creative Live affiliate program, which means if you click on the link in the show notes and purchase a course, we'll receive a small affiliate commission. Thank you for supporting us. She is brave. She is bold. She is you. And we want to tell your story. Are you ready to share your journey with us on Word of Mom Radio? Go to wordofmomradio.com and register as a guest. We want to tell your story because when you win, we all win. Unsilenced Voices has been working diligently in Ghana, Sierra Leone, Rwanda, and the USA to combat domestic violence, sexual abuse, and human trafficking. We currently have over 50 young girls on a wait list in Sierra Leone to go through a vocational training program to get them off the streets and out of harm's way. We have gifted over $33,000 to U.S. survivors and are looking for volunteers and donors to help us continue our cause. Please visit us at www.unsilencedvoices.org. Again, unsilencedvoices.org for more information. Don't let the name fool you. Stadiumbags.com is not just for sports fans. Our clear bags make it easier for you to get into any venue that you go to. And in today's world where we are so concerned about germs, the materials that our bags are made with are strong enough to stand up to the solvents that you can use to clean your bag so you know you come home safely. So check out stadiumbags.com. You'll see why we are the clear choice, because safety, it's in the bag. And we're back with the Girls That Create podcast on Word of Mom Radio. My guest today is Nancy Davis Coe, author of The Thank You Project, Cultivating Happiness, One Letter of Gratitude at a Time. In addition to the book, you've also written for many different publications, and a lot of the writings have a humorous bent to them. And I would love to just hear your thoughts about why humor writing is so, wow, right now I kind of feel it's like you need so much more of it. (laughs) It's funny, there is not a... There has not been a year that I've been a writer that we haven't needed it in some way, shape, or form. So um, I'll just say, you know, I grew up, I'm the third kid in a very funny family, so I really had to punch up for anybody to pay attention to me. So I I trained with the bigs in my own house there in Rochester. So to me, humor is vital. What's the point? If you can't laugh, where is the joy? You know, what is the point without humor? And I also think what's important is that humor can mask lessons and messages that are very hard to take if they're delivered head on. And so if you are a good humor writer, you're not just out there, you know, blowing armpit farts and, you know, trying to, you know, just laugh, laughing, but not that there's anything wrong with that. There's a place for it. But I think really good humor packs a powerful punch and it's the kind of thing that you think about afterward and sometimes even in the moment you don't realize that's what was happening but then you can look back and oh wait a minute and I you know I think of um, one of my favorite writers is R. Eric Thomas who has written a couple of books and his latest one is called Congratulations the Best is Over 
and the one before that is called Here For It. And he is, to me, he is the funniest, funniest writer. And I was actually reading Congratulations, The Best Is Over while I was getting a pedicure and I was laughing so hard they thought I was crying because I was trying not to like disturb people, but I had tears streaming down my face. And what's he writing about? Being a black gay man in America. You know what? There's some, he has faced some stuff. And, but the way he writes about it invites you in. It doesn't lecture you. It doesn't, you know, make you feel terrible that, you know, that nothing will ever get better. He does it with such warmth and humor and you're on his side as he's telling the story. And I think that, I think humor can be disarming in a way that we need, we desperately need. And, you know, you and I are talking a, a week after some horrible stuff has gone on in the Middle East. And I can't say that I have reached a point where I'm ready to joke about any of that, but, and I'm not sure we ever will, but I think humor is innate to our humanity. And I guess I would just say, I hope that everybody who's affected by that will someday have a reason to laugh again, because that's why we're all here, you know? Absolutely. Speaking of the humor that you have brought to some of your projects, you had a podcast I called did. The Midlife Mixtape. With which one of my favorite taglines to this day, the tagline is the years between being hip and breaking one. And I felt kind of a, a calling out to all of the Gen X folk out there. And for some of you who may be older than Gen X or younger than Gen X or even more younger than the millennials, but you need to understand that Gen X is a very small population, <laughs> but we consider ourselves small and mighty. <laughs> right. That's right. And I would love to just hear about what inspired you to start that podcast. And you recorded over 100 interviews, and which is all still available to listen to. Yeah, and I just love to, yeah, yeah. And I just love to hear yeah. um, when, yeah, why did the podcast plunge? Uh, well, I, I, uh, it was, I was in my early 50s, and I was, you know, the, the, I, I think there's a lot more storytelling now around midlife, and I do think Gen X gets some credit for getting out there and actually sharing, sharing what it's really like because all I ever heard was it's a crisis and you're going to be dried up and you're going to be invisible and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just looking around at my friends. I'm like, everybody's first of all gorgeous and doing interesting things and they're vital and they're making a difference in their communities. I don't see people fading into the woodwork here. So my point, my idea was to do a show where I just invited people in midlife, which I'm going to tell you, I define between 33 and 63. Don't at me because I don't know that we're all living to 100. Maybe. But even if you are living to 100, 33 to 63 is your midlife. So, I mean, I'm 33 to 66, so I'm running out of runway here. But, you know, I invited them on and just we talked about what they like about being in midlife. What are they better at? What are they more efficient at? And we didn't gloss over any of the difficulties. You know, if you are in that age range, you've probably lost a parent or both parents or people who are very dear to you. And the loss that goes along with being this age is real. And I would never minimize that. But again, what's the point? We're not going to sit in the loss and the grief all the time. We need to, you know, think about the things that are positive. So, uh, you know, I had no background in podcasting and you will hear that if you go back to lesson to episodes one through five, at least, but it was great. I did every other week for five years, and I talked to some amazing people. I, um, You can tell with a show called Midlife Mixtape, I love music, so I was always really excited to get musicians on. And I had Kathy Valentine, talk about people living in Texas, Kathy Valentine from the Go-Go's, who lives in Austin, was on the show. I had Bob Schneider, 
was a great, one of my last interviews, if anybody is listening from Austin, that was one of the interviews that made me think the hardest after I talked to Bob. He's a really thoughtful guy. And there's still, there's stuff he said in that interview that I still think about, you know, all these years later, but it was great. And then around the end of 2021, I just thought I've said what I wanted to with this show and I'm going to go out on top. And so I sunset the show in December 2021, but it's still available. I'm very proud of it. You know, I had some fascinating guests and yeah, I hope people, and I think it's not that much of a Gen X focused show. Maybe it is. I mean, a millennial or a Gen Z should tell me if it is, but I hope that the lessons are pretty universal as you age, regardless of what year you were born. And I think they are. I mean, you know, we came back the final episode of the show. I, I had kind of sorted all the interviews into buckets and I realized there's like eight big lessons and they're pretty universal. And yeah, so go check out episode 111. It's got all my eight big lessons in it. So, but I miss doing it. I miss having these conversations. I don't miss all the work that went with the podcast as like the world's most expensive hobby. Am I right? Yeah. Most time consuming and expensive, but it's just fun to connect with people and have these conversations. So I think as creatives, that's actually, I would love to circle back on you deciding to step away because it's hard when you put almost, you know, the blood, sweat, tears and soul into creating something, but, and then also having to recognize it's done. I feel the project is done. Yeah. And I think for me too, so this was the end of December, 2021, almost a year to the day that after my mom died, she died at the end of 2020, not from COVID, but you know, I lost her during COVID and I couldn't, it was horrible. And like so many people, I think every single person on the planet, it had been, COVID was awful, you know, COVID was awful and changed my life for the worse for a while. And there were some lasting impacts of that. And so I just, had this really strong sense that, yeah, that I'm done. I think I've, you know, I'm, I'm proud of what I've done. I don't want to start it to slip. But the other thing was I'm exhausted. And so I have a full-time day job, the book, the podcast, all that stuff is on the side and I love it. And I was exhausted. So I made a commitment to myself for 2022 to just not do anything besides the day job. And that was the first time in my adult life where I have specifically said, I'm not going to try to do everything. I wasn't volunteering for stuff. I'm not going to try to do everything for everybody. And it was very healing. And I was able to start this year with some energy and, you know, get back to doing a newsletter and doing some other stuff. But I've never in my life gotten to that point where I just thought I can't, if I keep going there's going to be a health issue or there's going to be a mental issue or something. And I, not everybody has the luxury to do that. I recognize that. And I just want to keep clear again. I did. Have, I still had to work. I still had to do my day job, but you know, I think we're really hard on ourselves sometimes when we are called to take it easy and to take care of ourselves a little bit. So that's, that was a, it was a hard choice to make. But the thing that I remember is, as soon as I decided what day the last episode was going to air, because I was always working, you know, three or four weeks in advance, the sense of relief was like, whoosh. And I thought, okay, that's a pretty good sign. You know, it was not regret. It was relief. And, you know, it's interesting. There's so much that's focused on answering the call, feeling inspired, running at whatever you want to do. Girl boss, girl boss, girl boss. Yeah, oh, yeah. 
oh, if ever such a charm needed to just kind of fade away. But yeah, go for it and then sacrifice everything. But there is something really poignant about saying, you know what? No, I need to just back off and just settle for a little you while. Know, a friend of mine said the most beautiful thing, and I it was kind of unexpected. I told him I was ending the podcast, and he goes, "Yeah, you need some time to tend your feelings." And I was like, "Yes," because my I don't think I was able. There were other losses during the pandemic too. My boss died, a next door neighbor died, and needed to be really sad and have some space for that. And you know, there's no way that stuff exits except by exit. Like you have to work through it. So yeah, tend your feelings, man. Maybe do it in smaller bites bite so you don't have to take a whole year off. I had to learn it a little bit the hard way. What three pieces of advice would you give to someone who's expiring to write, who wants to kind of create a book or do articles or freelance? What a great question. Number one, just start writing. Writers write, that's what you do. But I will give you a little trick that makes it easier. Set a timer and do 15 minutes. Don't do a word count. Don't say, I'm going to write the first chapter. Don't say I'm going to develop an outline of the book I'm going to write. Just have a piece of paper open or a document on your computer. Sit down and write for 15 minutes and do not stop. Don't go back and edit. Just forward forward progress only. If at the end of 15 minutes you want to stop, you've done it for the day. If you want to keep going, great, do that. But you can carve out 15 minutes from your day. You can stop saying I'm going to be a writer and you can be a writer by writing 15 minutes every day. That's how you, and then you do it six or seven days a week. You can take a Sabbath day. That's fine with me. But uh, the other days you can find your 15 minutes and keep going. And number two, find a writing community. So if you are uh, in a place where there are writers groups or writers classes, or, you know, uh, I think it's really important to connect with other writers who you will learn from and who will motivate you and who will keep you on track. So as you know, Erin, because you know so many of them, I ended up, I was involved in the Blogger conference for a long time because I was blogging at midlifemixtape.com before I was podcasting there. And all that content still available too. But I connected with a bunch of humor writers through Blogger and they're still in, blowing up my phone. This is 10 years going, but those are the ladies who read my stuff first, those are the ladies who brainstorm with me on various things. So, you know, having a writing community is also really important. I'm trying to think of a third thing that's useful. Oh, be a reader. Mm-hmm. Read, 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 read. There's no substitute for that. You have to, good, good writers recognize good books, but they can't talk. But good writers recognize good writing. That's what I was trying to say. And I think it's great to find authors who have a style similar to what you aspire to, but I just think reading, you know, that's all I did on my year off. I read a bajillion books that year, and I just, that is my dream to retire and just finally get through the stack of books on my dresser, which never gets smaller, because as soon as I take one book out, another one comes in, so. All right, last question, and you used to do this on your podcast. You would always ask people, what was their first concert they ever went to? So I would like that answer from you, and then second, what was the last concert you went to? Okay. First concert's easy. I'm really scrambling in my head to think, oh, I know what the last one. Okay. Uh, first concert I ever went to was Bow Wow Wow in uh, Rochester, New York. They played at the Rochester Armory and I was 14 and the singer was 14. Annabelle Lewin was 14. So that was, you know, the I Want Candy era. 
pretty awesome. It was great. I wore a garbage, a hefty bag with that. I cut a neck slit in so I could, and then I cinched it. And I probably had a safety pin through my pierced ear. I probably took out my little, you know, unicorn and put in my, because I was so punk. So that was the first one. The last one was last month. Think. Yeah, I have not gone to, I usually go to concert every month, so COVID was really hard on me. But uh, I would, the Sound Summit on Mount Tamalpai in Marin County, there's an amphitheater halfway up Mount Tam, and they have one music concert a year, and it's the Sound Summit, and the headliner was Lord Huron, which is pretty much my favorite band. So it was a schlep to get there, but it was so, so beautiful because the fog was like, we're in these stone steps and the band is there and the fog is behind them and you can see the Golden Gate Bridge behind that. It was pretty phenomenal. So that was a good show. What about you? What's your last one that you went to? Well, I was going to go to see Pink and she got sick. So I'm still grumpy about that. (laughs) But she'll be back. It's okay. It's okay. Well, she uh, just played here. She must have just gotten sick. What what do we do to her in the uh, bed? Laryngitis, I think. Oh, so, yeah. What is the last one? My husband did a fundraiser, and Shiny Ribs played, and they are out of Austin, and they are a great band. What kind of music? It's kind of Louisiana funk. Gosh, just it's writing it down. Show. Yep, Shiny Ribs. Down. Shiny Ribs. And what was the first concert, Aaron? <laughs> my first concert. I went with my boyfriend at the time, Justin Pageant. He was lovely. And I would probably write him a thank you letter because he was a nice first boyfriend. But we went to go see Color Me Bad open for MC Hammer. Okay. All right. <laughs> I'll accept it. That's amazing. That was, that was my first one without my parents. So, Color yeah. Me Bad. Duh, duh. Yeah. <laughs> Hammer time. <laughs> yeah. My, my neighbor here in Oakland. He's around here somewhere. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. The Lubbock Coliseum. So. <laughs> Nancy Davis Coe, thank you so much for being with us today. This was so great. I just, I miss seeing you. It's been way too long. So I hope this is useful. And I would just, you know, tell people to think you're three good things. Think you're three good things and you're already doing the work to start rewiring your brain for the better. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks. To all of you tuning in, thank you for joining us on the Girls That Create podcast on Word of Mom Radio. Who would be the first person on your thank you letter list? If someone comes to mind, Get a pen and paper and write them a letter today. Here's our closing theme song by Smith Sisters and the Sunday Drivers. Till next time, this is Erin Prather Stafford. She is short.